This, 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 this is, is Diversified, diversified game, 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 game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I'm bringing you some personal illustration game, animation game. I have Ron Bryant, who is not just an illustrator, but he's somebody that my family and I, he made our dreams come true in our children's book, which we plan to make a series, which we want to make a whole series, already have books laid out. But he also has his own animation that he does. He's done political cartoons for some of your famous or maybe not so famous influencers out there and political cartoons in newspapers, magazines, and all that good stuff. Ron, welcome to the show. How are you doing, brother? Hey, thanks for having me, my brother. Hope all is well with you and the family. Yeah, and I hope the same for you. You know, we're, we're, we're in madness, and finally <laughs> we get to have... This time, we can talk about, you know, all things illustration and the business of it. And I don't want to replicate the young lady last year who did a great interview with you and you gave a lot of good information. But tell me and tell the audience, because I know, how did you get into illustration and, you know, and especially becoming a paid illustrator? Because I know. Art is not the easiest thing to get into. No, it isn't. Um, I've been an artist, a cartoonist all my life as a child. I used to draw uh, different comic comic book characters with my brother, my brothers. Um, I used to draw the Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, etc. Um, but I didn't really take it serious until the early 80s which at the time, my brother, uh, he was attending East Carolina University, majored in illustration. He suggested to me that I probably take it a bit more serious and look at maybe pursuing art as a career. Um, That's what I did. I started off in Greenville, North Carolina. And at the time, I was working in in the ho- in a hospital uh alongside with registered nurses and i saw this one cat man a doctor and i thought he was the most obnoxious person i've i've ever seen at the time and i created a character called doc dog and my brother man he saw the character he said yo yo can i run this in the university newspaper i said yeah run it and that began my art career. Um, after that particular uh, experience with my first character, Doc Dog, I started getting um, calls from different advertising companies to create illustrations for their businesses. And then from there, both me and my brother, we moved to Atlanta. and. I continued drawing the comic ship Doc Dog until it was suggested to me through Pulitzer Prize winning um, artist 
editorial cartoonist Doug Marlette, and as well as my brother, at the time, he was the author director for Atlanta Boys, that maybe I should try something a little different and, and jump into drawing cartoons that more pertain to the, the Black experience. And that's how I began drawing editorial cartoons. So I thought at the time that I should be able to syndicate my cartoons. But the syndicates were quite, they, they weren't feeling it because it was too pro-Black. So what I decided to do for myself was, if they weren't going to syndicate me, I would syndicate myself. And I became cutting-edge cartoons. And through that self-syndication, I was published in over 75 Black newspapers as well as Emerge Magazine, Upscale Magazine, and several other magazines in Atlanta. Now, I got to ask, did that doctor ever find out that you were writing about him and creating cartoons about him? No, he never found out. (laughs) He never found out, man. But that, the Doc Dog character, imagine Snoopy, okay? Imagine Snoopy with shades and with a uh, a, a, a physician's a physician's coat, a physician's jacket, black tie. Okay, and the interesting thing about Doc Dog was he was a doctor, but he was also an entrepreneur. So he was finding other. <laughs> He was finding other ways to, to scam people. So he was scamming people. He was an entrepreneur. He he was a womanizer. Um, he was kind of all the things that actually, when you when I think of Doc Dog, he was all the things that I see in our current president. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was finding any opportunity to make money for himself. He didn't care about anybody else. He had kind of, Doc Dog had kind of an Elvis wig. You know what I'm saying? Then, it, then he had the shades. And he became very popular on the ECU campus. So to answer your question again, no. He never, he never, he never realized, he never uh, found out that, that my character was based on, this, on, on him. I, I asked, because as a, as, a, as a teenager, I... I wrote a story that almost got me in trouble. And because I had put, you know, some friends in it, a teacher actually had reported it to the principal with the police. And, you know, she was, and it was a crazy story, you know, but mm-hmm. he was like, I don't know, either his imagination is off the hook or, you know, he needs to be locked up. And and so I just wanted to know if he ever saw that because that would be so funny. But so when you then you know move to Atlanta and you start writing for the you know the newspapers and and the, the magazines, all that good stuff, were they paying you enough to live, or did you still have to have another job? Because somebody will hear that run and say, oh, that's all I got to do, move to Atlanta, write for everybody. But nowadays, especially, you still may be broke. You might be writing and drawing on the street. I agree. It, no, it was not like that. I still had to work. Uh, when I moved to Atlanta, I worked at Emory University as a bone marrow technician. 
At the same time, I continued to pursue my art career. Uh, my brother, Shelton, became the art director for the Atlanta Voice newspaper. So he took care of all that. Okay, he was under the editor of Stan Washington was his editor. And at the same time, I was starting to push my cartoons. So it's not like, okay, hey, I couldn't get syndicate. I could syndicate, I could syndicate myself and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like that. It was a struggle. It was a challenge because a lot of the content, man, that I was uh, illustrating it kind of it kind of it kind of gone against the norm. So even for a black newspaper, if you present something in an illustration that is about uh, economic injustice, uh, police brutality back in the day, most black newspapers were threatened by that type of commentary because they didn't want to. Uh, um, they didn't want to offend their advertisers. So I had to deal, deal, deal from that aspect. Now, what I did was I started with the Atlanta Voice. Then there was a local newspaper called the Atlanta Metro. And the publisher came to me and he said, you know what? Why don't we form our own black syndicate? So they, uh, they got me and four other black cartoonists. But that didn't turn out well because they were taking the revenue and we weren't seeing any money. So after, after we all went our own ways, our, our own separate ways, I decided to just push outside of Atlanta and, sh and display my cartoons to other uh, black newspapers throughout the country. And that's how I was able to pick up those newspapers. So it took probably maybe two or three years before I was able to attain 75 papers. And then um, Emerge Magazine, through the direction of Pamela Booker, no, Pamela Fortson, she saw my work and I started appearing in Emerge Magazine uh, every other month. So that's how I was able to make my income. So I still had to maintain my job. Okay. I had to I had to maintain my job while I pursue my dream. Which happens with a lot of artists, um, you know, and, and just a lot. Of, I mean, there's people who have successful businesses. Even uh, Barbara from the Shark Tank talked about, I think, having 80 employees and she still had to work her job. And, you know, I think a lot of times people want things to come quick and easy and they don't mm -hmm. understand. You can make everything look good on but yeah you gotta you got you know you you have to make sure you, you can uh you know pay the bills what do you think that would have there been an easier path if you would have went not so edgy because your stuff is still edgy you haven't lost <laughs> your edge you know at all you know i could i i, I had the choice of taking a a, a more a docile path like other cartoonists like uh, Beamingsley mm -hmm. he did the comic strip of Curtis there weren't too many editorial cartoonists back then of the melanin persuasion so I can't make the comparison but when you come to comic strips you had Jumpstart you had Curtis you had Jamal and uh, Malcolm 
And their comic strips was more, it was softer. It wasn't as threatening to the dominant society. So I could have, I could have easily taken that path, but I felt it was my responsibility to illustrate based on what was happening in our community. Police brutality, black on black violence, black economics, and black relationships. And those topics aren't popular in mainstream media. And and they weren't back then, they weren't popular uh, with black newspapers because they had to appease their advertisers. You know, they have to put stuff in their paper that wasn't going to rock the boat, so to speak. So, yeah, I I took the path that I took because I felt it was my responsibility as, as a brother, as a black man, to use my gift to address the issues of affecting our community. And, and and I mean I'm gonna just I'm gonna say this without saying names because I like to, you know, when I see something and I I really try not to live on Instagram or any social media. I'm actually looking for somebody. So if you're out there, hit me up to just kind of manage all that because I don't want to be on it anymore. And there's youth who love that stuff like I used to, especially when I was single. You used to love it. You could catch some tail real quick. Um, like that, especially when social media was new. And and what I, you know, put even on black media, you've had some stuff where people have said, that's too edgy. Kelly, you're about to get, <laughs> get us all on the radar, you know. Um, and, 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 that, and that's a good thing as far as art. You know, art has to speak like that. Art should speak like that. If not, what are we doing? That's my thought. Um, because, I mean, folks, you know, they're looking at it. I mean, even with the George Floyd, you know, all you did was show what happened in the flat and in the response. And I'm sure you got things that I haven't even seen. Like, I don't want to see that, mm-hmm. you know, take that off. Um, like, how do you deal? How do you deal with that? And what's your thoughts on that? Well, you know. I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's it's emotionally exhausting because you're seeing things in a certain way, which you're trying to convey what you feel is is the truth for what's happening with our people, and then you have a population of us that is saying, "Yo, why are you rocking the boat? Yo, why are you saying this? Yo, why are you saying that?" And you think to yourself, "Why do I have to explain myself?" Why I have to explain myself and explain my cartoons when it's so obvious why I'm drawing what I'm drawing? So I, I'm not I'm not going to lie to you, man. It's, it's been kind of painstaking because many of us we've already drank the Kool Aid. You know, even some of us who claim to be uh, pro-black, we've drank the Kool Aid. And we've also have put ourselves in tribes of black people. You've got you've got the bougie blacks. They are the, the so-called remnants of the town of the tenth. You've got the the democratic working blacks that no matter 
whoever's running on the Republican end, they're going to vote Democrat. You've got the misinformed black who they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They really don't care. They're only, they're, they're only interested in the latest trends. So it's been kind of painstaking for me over the years. Uh, even with my short uh, a relationship with Black America Web. Black America Web, which at the time, Roland Martin was my editor. They felt that my stuff was too dark. And when you look at the cartoons that I illustrated back then, they're real life now. So you have to put yourself in a mindset to understand that you're making a sacrifice. That a lot of people, particularly our people, would not be willing to make that sacrifice. But after talking to my son uh, this evening, we have a new generation that understand that in order for there to be equality, equal justice, equal economic opportunity, they have to take a stand on the issues that are the most unpopular issues. And this is something I did many years ago. But back then, I was ostracized. Now, uh, it's becoming not mainstream, but not only are the young brothers and sisters starting to embrace uh, what I used to draw and what I did draw back then, but other groups of people, Latina, white, they're starting to embrace it as well. So yeah, it was painstaking, man. It was painstaking. I mean, I mean, even 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 Facebook, I can't I can't express to you how many pages, how many group pages I've been blocked because of my cartoons. Because when I talk about black business, I believe in black business is a team sport. You know, you you and you've got to put in order for a black business to succeed, you a black business can't succeed without a black media. It just can't. You need a black media, and you have to you have to put that black media with black business for a black business to succeed. And I I show some examples of how I gave back to black business. But in turn, they didn't get back to me. All right. So there is a segment of our society that's starting to awaken and understand the importance of what I've been saying for the past 20 years. But it but it's been painstaking. Yeah, you know, um, many moons ago, I understood the people that I pour in, they're not necessarily going to pour back into me, but it's it's going to be, you know, sometimes strangers. Sometimes they're going to look like you. And a lot of times they're not um, going to look like you. And, and, and that's the part where uh, authors like Seth Godwin have talked about you got to find your tribe. And if you think that your tribe is just on your block or just in your family, it, it, it's wrong. You're going to miss, you're going to miss it because yep. somebody's going to, you know, and, and, and so, that that and, and that bitterness, you know, to hear you say that, I, I'm 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 glad because at some point you can get bitter and you can get 
it's like a mindset of why don't they get it? And then you'll start thinking higher of yourself than you really should. And that's when, you know, pride comes before the fall. But to know that everything you said, even maybe 15, 20 years ago is coming into play. You just were in the future. That's what I like to say. You were in the future and they had to catch up, you know, and, and, and it's just how, at what point, of maturity was it a certain point where you just said i'm just going to do me because if you would have did what everybody else was doing maybe you'd have you know more money maybe you'd have more popularity but it probably drive you crazy or you'd have just a bunch of pictures in your vault that nobody knew about until you know you go to uh the upper room so like what was it where you, you know, how, how did you develop that? Well, first, I have to, I have to answer to my family. And I have to set the standard as a black man. Uh, I have to show my family that I have my principles. Um, I have my passions. I have my rights. And I put all those things to my cartoons, whether they be popular or unpopular because one day when god calls me home my illustration will be a reflection of who i am and when that time comes people will see okay this is what this brother been talking about all this time and they will start to appreciate uh and hopefully uh elevate my work to another to a level which is mainstream I don't see that day now. I don't see it now because although as a society we are evolving as, as a society and, and particularly white people are starting to wake up, uh, uh, wake up uh, towards a lot of the uh, racial injustices that we've been plagued with over 400 years, um, I don't see... I don't see, I really don't see a significant change this year, but I see we're going in the right direction. Um, but what was really important for me as a black man, as a black artist, and not only that, as a business owner, I had to set the example for my children, first and foremost, before the community. I have to set the example for them that they could be self-reliant. Um, they can have their opinions. They can voice their opinions without fear. And they could use their skills, their talents to bring their opinions to the forefront. So to me, that was the most, to this day, that is the most important thing to me. So regardless of whoever don't, appreciate my work or condemn my work, it's more important to me that my children know that I stood my ground. I stood for what I believed in. And I used my skill, my talent uh, to bring to the forefront the issues affecting our people. Period. (laughs) 
Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.